We believe and we agree and we declare what the word says, which means it says that we are more than conquerors through Christ Jesus. It says that we have the victory. Come on, in Jesus' name. Come on, we just need to stir ourselves up just, just a little bit this morning. Hallelujah. I thank you, Father God. Whatever you're believing for, man, there's miracles that need to take place. Miracles that need to take place, bills that need to be paid, bodies that, that need to be healed. So I thank you, Father God, that you are in the miracle working business. And all we need to do is believe and declare and stand fast and stand firm. Father, I pray that each and every person in this room would have enduring, lasting faith. In Jesus' name, I speak courageousness and endurance over people's faith right now. People have been standing for months, years, decades. I thank you, Father God, that you uh, uh, strengthen them from the inside out as you as they wait upon you. You said that those who wait on the Lord, they shall be renewed. Their strength shall be renewed, Father God. So as we sit in your presence this morning, I thank you that times of refreshing are coming in your presence. And in your presence is fullness of joy. And in your presence, we can't be unchanged. So I thank you, Father God, that you are restoring us, renewing us, reviving things within us, Father God, so we can fight the good fight of faith. As Ephesians 6 says, to having done all to stand, stand therefore. I thank you that we have a congregation of people who will stand therefore and see it through. See the promises through, Father God. In Jesus' name, I thank you. I thank you for strength, that we would not grow weary in well-doing, but we would hold fast to what we know is true. In Jesus' mighty name, in Jesus' mighty name, we declare it so. We thank you. We say, so be it. So be it. Amen and amen. In Jesus' name, amen. Glory to God. Well, it's a good day. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Well, before we are seated, I was just talking to my wife about how, you know, usually I kind of say a joke, and I didn't have a joke really lined out for this morning, um, but my daughter told me one last night, and I thought I'd repeat it to you because I thought it was really funny, especially when it comes from a two-year-old, um, but has ever, anybody seen the movie Frozen? Um, it's a kid's movie, but I, actually it was my favorite movie for about a two-year period. So <laughs> that was before I had kids. Um, anyways, she came up to me and said, Daddy, why don't you ever give Elsa a balloon? So I don't know why. She goes, because if you do, she's just going to let it go. <laughs> All right. <laughs> And I'm letting go of winter, man. I'm ready for spring. Spring starts next week, but I'm, I'm in the spring attire this morning. I'm believing for warm weather. So if you're believing for warm weather, just greet somebody around you. Say, spring has sprung. <laughs> and you can be seated. Glory to God. Hallelujah. And why, while you're at it, why don't you just give a hand to our worship team? They did an amazing job this morning. I love being able to just stand down there and worship, and uh, the atmosphere was great. The anointing was great, so I just shout out to my team. I love my team. And uh, another uh, few, few other things, um, you know, how many of you guys love what Alan has to say every single uh, Sunday? Yeah, offering. So much wisdom. I want to encourage you, two, two podcasts to listen, to listen to, the NCC podcast. So we have the church podcast. You can find it on Apple Podcasts. You can find it on Spotify. And uh, it's the messages that we teach here at NCC. I encourage you to listen to those throughout the week. Because if you call NCC your home, that means God has given Pastor Mark a specific word for you that will help you grow. So it's good to meditate on that throughout the week. You know, I'm not telling you not to listen to other people, but... This is your source. This is where you get fed the most. So feed yourself throughout the week with the NCC podcast. Secondly is uh, the J&J podcast. Me and John P. have a podcast. And tomorrow's guest is Mr. Alan Wolf, and he's going to be talking about predictable success. If you would like predictable success to happen in your life, go ahead and give that podcast a listen. Just look up Sowing and Growing. It, it, you can find it on Apple Podcasts. You can find it on Spotify. But also listen to the church podcast. All right. Let's jump into it this morning because I don't have a whole lot of time, and I wrote a lot of things down. So I, I'm excited to teach you guys this morning. Pastor Mark um, is in a series called Foundations, and he's really been talking about Hebrews 5 and Hebrews 6. Hebrews 5 really talks about how um, he was desiring, Paul was desiring, well, I don't know if it was Paul, the writer of Hebrews. <laughs> I think it's Paul. Um, 
the writer of Hebrews was saying, hey, man, I would really love to teach you the, the meat of the word, you know, the, the real uh, awesome things that we get in deep Bible studies about, but we're still on milk. And, he, and really, that's not to, to shame us, but it's to, to really understand that the milk of the word, the foundation of your life is the most important thing for you to build. You cannot build a house without a foundation, or if you have a weak foundation, everything you build upon it will eventually fall. So the basics are so important. And then if you look in Hebrews 6, he talks about some of those basics. And uh, Pastor Mark started this series with a really great message on repentance. If you read through Hebrews 6, that's one of the foundational, uh, the foundations of the gospel is understanding what repentance is. So I encourage you, go back on the NCC podcast and listen um, to his message on repentance. So things that should be just like ingrained in us, a lot of times I find even in my own life that I've fallen away from those things. And I desire the deep, deep things. I desire the meat of the word, but I haven't really grasped fully the milk of the word. And so this morning I want to talk about one thing that I believe is extremely foundational to your faith, foundational to being able to build a church. You know, we sing that song. Um, I think we sang it last week, build your church. It says, Jesus, build your church, build your church, build it from the ground up. And then it says, we're your church. So we are the body of Christ. And if you want to build upon your life, you're going to need to have a strong foundation. Amen. So what I want to talk about this morning is the idea of church unity, being unified as the body of Christ. Because the Bible says that the world will know us not by signs and wonders, not by praying in tongues, not by any of that stuff. They'll know us by our love for one another, one another being the person sitting next to you. So if we are going to be an accurate representation of Jesus on this earth, we are going to have to learn to be unified. Amen? Unification with Christ, but unification with each other. Amen? So that's what we're going to be talking about this morning. Turn over to Colossians 1.18. I'll see if I can get this done. Um, I'm reading out of the ESV this morning. Um, Colossians 1.18 says this. He is also head of the body, the church, and he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he himself will come to have first place in everything. It's a lot of he's there. He is referring to Jesus, okay? Ephesians 1, 22, I'm reading the NIV. I got a lot of different translations this morning. Um, but if you look up on these two screens, you'll see them all. NIV says this, and God placed all things under his feet, being Jesus, and appointed him to be head over everything for the church. Verse 23, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. So I just want to make sure that we're all on the same page here this morning. I think we all can agree that Jesus is in control, that Jesus is the head over his church. Wave your hand at me if you believe that to be true. Jesus is the head over the church. Okay, I'm in the right room. I think I can move forward with this. This is going to be good. He's, he's the head over the church. The church is his body. You and I make up the church, okay? In fact, believers all around the world make up the church of Christ. The body of Christ is made up of believers all throughout the world that declare and profess him as Lord. We are the church, okay? So looking at a natural body, the head cannot do anything apart from the body. The brain power can be there. You, you might have the smartest mind and intellect, but unless it's attached to a functioning body, the mind is essentially useless, all right? It, it, and uh, I have a water bottle down there. Can you, can you bring that to me? Um, thank you. I should have brought it up here because um, I will get thirsty. Um, but this water bottle, so as much as I have researched this water bottle, oh, look, it's non-BPA. That's great. Um, you know, as much as I've researched it and as much as uh, I know, you know, how many ounces it is, as much as I know uh, uh, how much lift it takes to supersede the law of gravity, if I don't have an arm, I can't lift that thing up. So I can know as much as I want about this water bottle, but unless my brain sends a signal to my arm to pick it up, it's just going to stay on this podium. That's just the reality of it, right? Um, so this applies to the body of Christ. I'm not saying that Jesus is useless or powerless, but he has limited himself in choosing to work with us, which should be an honor. I mean, it's a, it's a big responsibility, but thank you know, thank the Lord, man, he's using broken vessels to accomplish his will in the earth. Um, so he, he works with us. God works through people to accomplish his will. So the body must work in unity and with unity um, um, 
with the head to accomplish something, right? And the devil knows this. And this is why he works so hard to disrupt and break apart the church on all levels, but especially the local church, okay? If he can infiltrate the body and get it fighting against itself, then the influence and the reach that the church has stops, right? Because we are the hands and the feet of Jesus. If God, if Jesus is going to accomplish something in the earth, he uses his body, right? And if the church is dysfunctional, he can't accomplish anything in the earth. Hopefully, this isn't like revelation to you, but we do need to be unified, right? The connection from the head will be disrupted. The plan that Jesus is trying to execute in the earth stops because the body is literally spending its time and its energy fighting against itself, all right? I'll just give you a quick demonstration of the body of Christ doing what the body of Christ is supposed to do. When my dad passed away in 2014, uh, everybody was, um, you know, a lot of people were here, and I just so needed, like, comfort from God, and I would pray for comfort, and that really came in the form of the body, the local church, reaching out to our family. You guys reached out to us. We felt the embrace of Jesus, and I remember it was John P. who told me this. He said, listen, if we are wanting an embrace from Jesus, it comes from his body, right? We all want to be comforted by God so many times, but the reality of this is, is that comfort from the Lord oftentimes comes through his body, through people around you. So that's why it's so important to be unified, to love one another so that we can receive that embrace from Jesus. Amen? So quick change of pace here. Does anybody know how cancer starts? All right? Let me tell you. Okay? You're like, what? <laughs> We're just talking. It was love, sunshine, rainbows, unity, cancer. Here, this is it. Very basic definition of cancer um, and how it starts is when a, a certain cell has a mutation in it, and this mutation tells the cell to divide even when there is no reason to divide. Does that make sense? So it tells it to divide. And listen, cell division is a naturally occurring thing in the body, and it's necessary for growth. So natural, healthy cell division happens, you know, it's how babies mature into adults. It's actually how babies form in the, in the womb. It's how you get to be a certain uh, uh, height and weight. It's, it's cells dividing. But here's the thing. They divide for the overall health of the body. A cancerous cell divides only for itself. It divides and it multiplies itself over and over and over and over again until it pushes out the healthy cells. So a cancerous cell is selfish. Normal cell division is, is thinking about the entire body. Does that make sense? So this is how Satan works in the church. This is why really the, the, the battleground of your mind is so important because he makes you think and believe that you're fighting against a certain person in the church, and he wants you to divide even when there is a reason not to divide. See, when we don't understand that our war is not against flesh and blood, but against spiritual forces, we, we, get, we begin to think that that person is my enemy, and we divide when there is no reason to divide because we're on the wrong battlefield. We're fighting the wrong thing, and we need to wake up and see that the enemy is not that person, but it's an unseen enemy. And his, his main goal is to, to divide the church. Because if the church is divided, then the influence and the reach stops. Come on. So church health is vital. We need to look at the condition of our church. Couple questions to ask ourselves. Is it operating in unity? Is it healthy? Is there division that needs to be cut off? Is there anything that is dead that needs to be removed? Good questions to ask yourself. I'm not really talking about kicking people out of the church. But the overall health of the body comes down to individual members. Taking an account of your own life, your own foundation, your own heart. Come on. Man, is there anything in my life that is dead and needs to be removed? Anything that needs to be cut off? Is my spiritual condition healthy? Because I know that I make up a part of a bigger church. And the entire church health comes down to individual members. Amen? So, quick story. My grandparents, they lived in Jamaica for a time when I was younger. Shout out to Jamaica. Um, <laughs> um, so, my grandpa, I call him Papa, he was a civil engineer, and he would move around the country depending on where his next job was, and he worked on, on massive plans. He worked on airports, hotels. He actually, anybody remember the Stardust Hotel in Las Vegas? 
um, he actually was in charge of bringing that puppy down. And he brought our family in, and we got to stand, like, way too close. But we saw that whole thing get imploded, and it was really, really cool. But he would uh, be in certain places for, like, three, four, five years at a time until that project was done. So they lived in New York, they lived in Las Vegas, they lived in Florida and California, and for a time, they lived in Jamaica, like from 2000 to 2003, they lived there working on an airport. Why am I telling you this? Well, living in Jamaica, they got to experience some local island slang, or the, ter the, the correct term would be called patois, right? And so there's a, a couple patois phrases I want to share with you this morning. Hopefully, maybe they are, uh, are um, familiar to some of you, but uh, one of the things that they would learn, you know, if you were on a really crowded bus, someone might bump into you and say, hey, small up yourself, small up yourself, right? Which basically means, hey, man, get out of the way, make some room, it's crowded in here, right? Or when you greeted someone, they would always say, wagwan, wagwan, right? Wagwan, which just means, what's going on? What's up, right? Uh, they had a gardener at a time um, in their, at their house, and his name was Verley. And Verley was a really fun, uh, charismatic guy. And my grandmother shared a story with me that one day Verley came up to her and he said, Hey, you know my name is in the Bible, right? And she goes, Your name is definitely not in the Bible. <laughs> I'm pretty sure he's like, Yes, it is. Verley, Verley, I say unto you. <laughs> um, another Jamaican patois is the phrase chaka chaka, which basically means extremely messy or extremely disorderly, okay? Disorderly. And if we're not careful, we can become a chaka-chaka church. Go ahead and say that with me. Chaka-chaka church, right? It's not a good thing. It's fun to say, but that's definitely not a good thing. Chaka-chaka church is a church that is extremely disorderly. And in some ways, collectively, the 21st century church has become a chaka-chaka church, right? You cannot tell how dirty the inside of a house is by looking at the outside, right? You need to look at the inside. Turn over to Matthew 23. Matthew 23, um, starting in 27. We'll do 27 and 28. It says this, Woe to you, this is Jesus, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You are like whitewashed tombs which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of bones of the dead and everything unclean. Verse 28. In the same way, on the outside, you appear to people as righteous, but on the inside, you are full of hypocrisy and wickedness. Ouch. So don't raise your hand, but have you ever been to a hoarder's house? If that's you, especially don't raise your hand. But if, I've, if you've ever been into a, into a hoarder's house, like the, the, the smell that's <laughs> coming out of that place is is. is is pungent to say the least. It's kind of it's kind of intense, right? Um, the amount of garbage and, and clutter literally can make your jaw drop. And you know, there are times when I would watch TLC and there would be a show on there called Hoarders, and it was like the worst of the worst. And so you would watch these shows and be like, how can this person live? And for the most part, uh, the outside of these homes were just as messy as the inside. But every once in a while, there would be like a home that you would have no idea the condition of the inside, because the outside looks good, and even the person would look presentable. You know, they would just, like, step over the piles and get ready and look all clean, and then they'd get out of their house. It was kind of deceptive. You had no idea what was going on on the inside because they made sure that the outside was taken care of. So just a, a, a warning, it's a piece of advice. Don't be so concerned about the outside. You know, your uh, what per people's perception of you, right, shouldn't matter as much as what's going on on the inside. Because that's what truly matters, all right? What did uh, God say to the prophet Samuel? Um, what did he tell him about David? First Samuel 6, 16, 7, he says, For the Lord sees not as, the man, as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. The Lord looks on the heart. So there's an example, and I won't go into great detail, but there's an example in the Old Testament about someone whose jaw literally dropped when they saw the condition of the church. It's found in Ezekiel chapter 8. And what happened was God told, actually God transported through a vision the, the, the prophet Ezekiel to the temple. He, he took him to the outside wall of the temple, and there was a little hole in the wall, and God says, start digging. He goes, what? He says, start digging. So he starts digging through the hole, and he finally gets through the wall, and he finds a door. So God says, open the door. He opens the door. It leads right into the temple. And what happened was that the temple was filled with all types of demonic idols and engravings, carvings on the wall, all 
pagan things that were filling up the temple. And his jaw literally dropped, right? So, and here's the, here's the thing. Not, not everybody at the time could go into the temple. It was only the priests. So the majority of the population had no idea what was going on. The outside of the temple looked clean. It looked right, right? These priests, they represented sp- the spiritual authority of Israel. And they were completely corrupted and deceptively leading the nation. And as Christians, we are now made kings and priests. Amen. And as the church, we represent spiritual authority. I'll say this. We don't represent it. We are the spiritual authority. We have spiritual authority. Where the priesthood went, the nation of Israel followed. And it's the same today. You know, John Bevere is quoted as saying this. He he says this. Where the church goes, the nation follows. So can you see the responsibility that's upon the church? We need to be unified. We need to make sure that there's some order in the church. Because where the church goes, the nation follows. You can see the importance of cleaning house. Another example of this is in Matthew 21 when Jesus goes in and he clears out the temple. What happens is he walks in and he sees uh, money uh, collectors and exchangers and people selling goods in the temple, like in the church. And he gets extremely upset. And what's crazy is that he, the Bible says that he fashions a whip. Right? And I was just thinking about this, and I think it's really funny because he took the time. There was no whip store. There was no whip kiosk. He sat there, and he made a whip. Like, that's how frustrated he was with what was going on. And then he drove them out, and he flipped over the, temp- the tables. We all know the story. But uh, uh, he, he had witnessed a chaka-chaka church. Okay? So what's also crazy about this is if you look into the history of this, there were vendors there who were selling convenience. They were selling convenience. You think that convenience is a 21st century thing, a 21st century problem. No, it's gone back since the dawn of history. You know, so what happened was in Israel, you were supposed to raise your own sacrifice, your own lamb. It needed to be pure. It needed to be spotless. It needed to be the best. You took the time to raise that thing, and then you would bring it to the temple for sacrifice, and you would atone for your sins. People got lazy, and the vendors understood this, so they played, they capitalized on people's inconvenience. So they would raise a lamb, they'd bring it, and they'd say, hey, you don't have time for this? Hey, you were so lazy? I'll give you a lamb, and then you can go get it sacrificed, and your sins will be covered. They were selling convenience. So write this down. If it's convenient, it is not sacrifice. Okay? If it's convenient, it is not sacrifice. That's for free. We need to clean house, all right? I'm not talking again about about kicking people out of the church, um, but it's about us actively all understanding that we are individual members of the church and our spiritual condition needs to be healthy. Our church, our temple does not need to be a chaka chaka church, right? That's why I love the vision of this church. Every member in their place see the glory of God and possess the land. Every member in their place is much deeper than finding a place to serve twice a month, okay? On a Sunday, it's about understanding that you are a member of the body. It's about finding your place. It's about owning your place and about growing your place and making sure that you stay healthy, right? And the result of that, a result of every member in their place is the second part of the vision, See the glory of God. When every member is in their place, operating and functioning, right, the hands and the feet of Jesus functioning, guess what? The manifested presence of God is revealed. That's what the glory is. That's what the glory is. So when we are operating in unity together, the glory of God is manifested in the church and through the church to the world. Amen? And we ask questions all the time like, why don't we see the glory? Where are the signs and wonders? Where are the miracles? And we're not, we're not taking into account the dysfunction and the disunity that happens when deep beneath the surface there's, there's backbiting and backstabbing and gossip and division. And we wonder why, we, why don't, we don't see the supernatural taking place. Well, it's time to clean house. James 3.16 in the Amplified says this, For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there is disorder, unrest, rebellion, and every evil, evil thing and morally degrading practice. Right? A chaka chaka church, it's just funny to say, doesn't seem like a very hospitable environment for God's glory to manifest, now does it? Right? So Moses asked God a, a really uh, profound question in Exodus 33. Um, he said this, Exodus 33, verse 16. He said this, How will anyone know that you are pleased with me 
and with your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all other people on the face of the earth? So here Moses is making, a very, making it very clear that the very thing, the very thing that distinguishes God uh, or God's people from the rest of the world is when God himself is present and magnified within the church. Come on. He makes that very clear. When God himself is present and magnified in the hearts of his people and magnified in the hearts of, of, of the church. Come on, he says, I don't want to go anywhere unless you go before me. How will people know that we're your people unless you're here with us? Right? We got to give him a place to sit. We got to make a hospitable environment for him to come and be and dwell among us. Right? That's the very thing that distinguishes us from the rest of the world is his presence. Come on. Amen? Again, the head cannot execute its vision without the body. Jesus cannot move throughout the earth without his church. And the devil knows this. And that's why the church is a battleground. Okay? So cleaning house really means allowing Jesus to purge our hearts. Turn to Joshua 5.13. There are some things that I'm saying this morning and that I will say that are based out of this, this book called the, the Three Battlegrounds by Francis Frangipan. If you never read it, I, I encourage you to read this. It's a very, very enlightening book, especially the, the, the whole uh, uh, section on the church. So uh, Joshua 5.13 says this, and it came to pass when Joshua was by Jericho that he lifted his eyes and looked, and behold, a man stood opposite him with his sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said to him, are you for us or are you for our adversaries? So this is from, directly from this book, The Three Battlegrounds. He says this, Jesus is standing before us with his sword drawn and it's pointing at our hearts. He wants to release the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God through our words and prayers. But before the Lord's sword can come out of your mouth, it must first pass through your heart. It must first pass through your heart. So there are a few uh, tactics that the, that the enemy uses to divide the church. He establishes certain strongholds in our lives to help to, to, to divide us. And, and one of those strongholds would be the stronghold of, of cold love. You can write that down, the stronghold of cold love. Matthew 24 verse uh, 12 says this, Because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. It's talking about love of God, but... Uh, also love for other people and specifically love for your neighbor, love for people across, uh, uh, you know, the sanctuary from you. Again, the world will know us by our love for one another. And a symptom of cold love is, is bitterness, okay? The Bible warns us about the root of bitterness. If you read Hebrews 12, 15, it says this, looking carefully lest anyone fall short of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble, and by this many become defiled, Francis Frangipan says this, bitterness is unfulfilled revenge. <laughs> bitterness is unfulfilled revenge. You just harbor it in your heart. Every time you refuse, this is him again, every time you refuse to forgive or fail to overlook a weakness in another, your heart not only hardens towards them, it hardens towards God. You cannot form a negative opinion of someone and allow that opinion to crystallize into an attitude. For every time you do, an aspect of your heart will cool towards God. And that sounds like a dangerous hill to go down. That's why bitterness, is, it, it really is so powerful. Your, your love or disdain for people is directly connected to your love or disdain of God. It truly is. You know, 1 John 4.20 says this. Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. This is, this is uh, uh, one of those hard to deal with scriptures. You're like, ah, man, I'm still really working on that. But it's a very profound uh, observation that John makes. I think that we as, as believers, we believe that God is generally nicer and easier to deal with and less in your face than our neighbors, right? It's just, it's just kind of the reality of it. We don't have to really deal with God's humanity because, well, God is perfect. But we do have to deal with our neighbor's humanity, right? God isn't dumping his grass clippings on your yard, okay? That's your neighbor. God isn't, you know, covering up his B.O. with English leather. That's your, that's your neighbor, right? When you talk to him, that's your neighbor, you don't have to deal with God's humanity. You have to deal with your own humanity, okay? Uh, 
right? You know, God isn't sinning against you. Your neighbor is, right? We're dealing with their humanity. And so this is really the, the true love test. Can you love the unlovable, right? We paint God in a way that we want to see him, okay? We do that. And we even give him a nice little Morgan Freeman voice in our heads so that when he corrects us, it's more palatable. It's just me? Okay, that's just me. But we kind of, we kind of make God who we want him to be in our hearts, and, and then we, we get, you know, we're, we're happy about the idea of, you know, this idea that we, we think we're loving him correctly, but we're, we're still struggling with our neighbor. And John says, you're a liar. You're a liar. If you can't, if you can't love the person who's very tangible and real and present right in front of you, you cannot love the God who's not as in your face and tangible right in front of you. You can't do it. Um, and really, when we choose to love those who we see, we show the love of the Father to others around us. So it's so important to love your neighbor, right? You cannot say you love God if you're still in unforgiveness towards someone. And if you hate someone, ugh, Scripture says you hate God. And that's a very hard uh, reality to live in. Okay? So the cure for this sounds cliche, but it's love, right? Love is, is not a feeling. Love is a choice. And uh, Corey Tamboom said this. I really love this quote. It says, forgiveness is an act of the will, and the will can function regardless of the temperature of the heart. So many times we're waiting for the pain to go away before we love, Right? Before we forgive. You say, when all that settles down, oh, finally, and I can take a breath, then I'll forgive you, right? But this is a trap of the enemy, right? Here's the reality. The pain is enclosed inside of that stronghold of bitterness. And choosing to love and forgive is what tears down that stronghold and allows the pain and the hurt to go away. If you're waiting for those things to leave, you will never, ever be in forgiveness. You'll always be in bitterness, Right? Because the pain is entrapped in the stronghold of unforgiveness. So when you choose to forgive, man, that opens that thing up and healing can, can come. Right? When we say, God, heal my heart. God, heal me. Right? But you don't want to forgive. It doesn't work that way. You choose to do the hard things and watch God heal the inner things. Amen? And one way we, we kind of fight this battle, 15 minutes, all right, is to develop the, the gift of discernment. And in its simple, simplest definition, discernment is nothing more than the ability to decide between truth and error, right and wrong. So discernment is the process of making careful distinctions in our thinking about the truth, okay? So in other words, the ability to, to think with discernment is um, synonymous with, uh, with thinking biblically. And in our daily interactions with people in the church, the ability to discern is crucial. That's why um, being slow to speak <laughs> and quick to listen is so important. Allowing the Spirit of God to reveal the intent behind someone's words is so important. Because a lot of times you just see what's right in front of you and your perception might be wrong. And so if, when you allow God to reveal the intent of someone's words, it's going to help you. He, he, he reveals what's true in that statement and what is false in that statement. And if you want to discern, you cannot react. You have to, this is what Francis uh, Frangipan says. He says, you have to blind yourself to what is apparent. So what is right in front of you, what is uh, the loudest isn't always necessarily the truth. Amen? It's very important to realize this. You know, people are going to say things that hurt you. And that's why discernment is so important. Bringing that thing to God and allowing him to break it down for you. Because when we try and break it down, what, we, what do we do? We break it down through emotions. We break it down because we're, we're angry. And we begin to project and perceive and have a perception of something or someone. That's completely wrong. And God sees through all of that. And he can help you develop the right perception of that person, right? Before our perception develops, our love must develop until our normal attitude is one of forgiveness. And Jesus was a great example of this. Jesus pre-forgave every single person, right? He did. In the same way, we must be prepared to forgive before someone sins against us. You know, Paul said in Philippians 1.9, he said, I pray that your love would abound still more and more in real knowledge and all discernment, 
right? So discernment comes from a love that's abounding within you. The out, uh, uh, we often make the, the mistake of, dis, of discerning, um, or let's say, we often mistake a discerning spirit with a critical spirit. <laughs> so there's a difference between being discerning and just being critical, okay? A critical spirit is really based out of mistrust, suspicion, and fear, all right? False discernment is looking at the outward appearance of someone and pretending you know the inside, right? So when it comes to the church, when it comes to faults that you find in the church, you know, or you would say a breach in the wall, you as a member of the church, you have two choices to make, okay? You can write these down. Two choices to make when you get upset with someone, when you find fault with something or someone in the church. You've got two decisions to make. You can either criticize the breach or you can repair the breach. Number one, you can criticize the breach or number two, which is the better option, you can repair the breach. So this is what a breach is. A breach is a gap in a wall, barrier or defense, especially one made by an attacking enemy. Again, understanding that our battle isn't with that person. You say, well, that person has a lot of faults. <laughs> well, a breach in the wall is from an attack of the enemy. Okay, you have to understand that. So I love, um, well, let me say this. Seeing what's wrong with something is very easy. I don't think we really need any more people like pointing say, that's wrong, it's pretty evident a lot of times, right? <laughs> uh, God needs people who aren't just going to point a finger at the, the hole in the, you know, the breach in the wall. He needs people to fix and repair the breach. So I love what the Amplified says, you know, it uses that word gap in, um, uh, let's, let's look at uh, Ezekiel 13, 3 through 5 um, in the Amplified. It says this, thus says the Lord, woe, judgment is coming to the foolish prophets who are following their own spirit, claiming to have seen things, but have in fact seen nothing. Oh, Israel, your prophets have been like foxes among the ruins. You have not gone up into the gaps or breaches, nor built the wall around the house of Israel, that it might stand in the battle on the day of the Lord, right? So the Amplified uses that word gap. How do I fix a gap? Well, I stand in the gap, okay? How do I fix a gap? I step into it. I step into the breach and I intercede. So you and me, we are called to be intercessors. Intercessors stand in the gap, right? Here's a great definition of the gap that I'm talking about. The gap is the distance between the way things are and the way things should be, right? The gap is the distance between the way things are and the way things should be. And you as an intercessor are responsible for standing in that gap. If I see a gap of unforgiveness happening in the church, I step in and I operate in forgiveness. I pray for the bitterness in people's hearts to change. I don't just say, wow, that person's messed up. No, I stand in the gap. I see a gap of unforgiveness. I stand and I make sure that I continue to forgive each and every day, no matter what type of offense comes, no matter who says what to me, I will choose to forgive. I stand in the gap and I pray in the gap. I intercede that the, the, the veil be lifted off of people's eyes, the scales be removed from people's eyes, and people would see the, the, the true nature of the enemy, that people would see what's actually going on and choose to operate in forgiveness and choose to love. Stand in the gap. Repair the breach. It's a charge to you, the church, this morning. We are all members of this church, and we do have faults, but I need people. Pastor Mark needs people. God needs people who are going to stand in the gap and repair the breach. Amen? Isaiah 58, 12 in the Amplified says this, And your people will rebuild the ancient ruins. You will raise up and restore the age-old foundations of buildings that have been laid to waste. You will be called repairers of the breach, restorers of streets with dwellings. Amen? Repair the breach. So now I want to go back brief, real quick um, to, to ways that we can keep our hearts soft. Remember I said that there was a stronghold that the enemy uses. It's a stronghold of, of cold love. And here's ways to keep our hearts soft and pure and, and, and avoid cold love. It's really to develop a lifestyle of worship in every season and situation. Take time to magnify your creator. Take time to magnify God. This is another thing out of the book, and it's just beautiful. Um, turn over to Psalm 84. Uh, we'll read 4 through 7 in the NLT. 
says this, what joy for those who can live in your house, always singing your praises. Remember that, always singing your praises. Verse five, what joy for those whose strength comes from the Lord, who have set their minds on a pilgrimage to Jerusalem. When they walk through the valley of weeping, it will become a place of refreshing springs. The autumn rains will clothe it with blessings. They will continue to grow stronger, and each of them will appear before God in Jerusalem. I love that. When they walk through the valley of weeping, it will become a place of refreshing. When you're always singing his praise, worship can transform uh, the negative assaults of the enemy into a testimony of victory, right? The valley of weeping turns into a refreshing, and it's a spring that's covered with blessing. And a result of your worship, you grow stronger. You move from strength to strength. That's what this is saying. It says, when you praise God continually, your valley of weeping gets transformed into a spring of refreshment. Man, I want to sign up for that. That sounds like good news. Even if you don't know how to sing, that's okay. I don't care, and God doesn't care. Lift your voice. Sing songs to him. Praise him. Praise his name. Just begin to magnify the name of Jesus. A lot of times, you don't, you don't have to actually just sing a song, but just reminding yourself of his goodness. Man, I thank you, Lord Jesus, that you saved me. I thank you that I'm alive. I thank you that I'm healthy and that I'm whole. I thank you that you got a plan for my life. I thank you, Father God, that you see the end from the beginning and where I am is not where I'm gonna uh, remain, but you're taking me into the promise. Just begin to declare the goodness of God, declare his promises, sing his praises, speak his praises, and watch your valley of weeping turn into a spring of refreshing. Amen? Glory to God. Worship also means sacrifice. So in order to live a lifestyle of worship, by default, you're going to have to give up some things. Okay? And again, he says this in his book. He says it so eloquently. I'm just going to read it. He says this. Uh, in essence, who we are now is made up of events that have happened to us and how we've reacted to those events and even how we react to the memories of those events now. Okay? Um, and the events we remember the most usually shape us the most, if that makes sense. And a lot of traumatic events happen within the church by other, other people. They may have, have deeply wounded or betrayed you. But in Philippians 3.13, Paul is reminding us we're instructed to forget what lies behind, to forget the past and press on towards the goal. So even though you've been hurt, you are instructed to forget that thing. And although the events of our lives are irreversible, our reactions to those events can still be changed. And this is the beautiful part. In other words, although I cannot alter the past, I can put my past upon the altar as an act of worship. Amen? So let it be a sacrifice. Allow God to burn it up, right? A worshiping heart truly allows God to restore your soul. Glory to God. Let it be a sacrifice. Now, I'm going to wrap up with reading a few extra things out of this book. Um, um, it, it's about how to overcome the accuser of the brethren, which is the devil. Um, so I'm going to read this out of the book, and then, and then we'll be done. Are you getting anything out of this this morning? All right. Um, it's called Casting Down the Accuser. So this is based out of Revelation 12, 11. It says, and they overcame him because of the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony, and they did not love their life even to death. Instead of talking about people's sins and faults, we must ask God for the grace to see our common needs met. Instinctively, we must enter into this intercession of Christ and passionately intercede for those whom Jesus died. In Revelation 12, we see how they overcame the accuser of the brethren. Now let us look at each dimension of our victory separately. So he begins to break them down. The first part being the blood of the lamb. One blood spiritually flows through, through us all, literally making us one body, sharing one source of cleansing and one source of life. One blood makes us family, blood bought and blood relatives. The blood pays for our redemption and in the attack of the accuser disarms his accusations. The blood establishes us in an attitude of meekness rather than self-righteousness for the shedding of the blood declares our common need of Jesus. Man, that's good. I'm going I'm to keep reading. 
Second part of this scripture, um, they overcame by the blood of the lamb and this part, the word of their testimony. This includes telling others what God has done for you, but it is more the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. That's Revelation 19.10. To truly overcome the enemy, we must live and think prophetically. That is, we must see each other as God sees us, seeing the end from the beginning, animated by lives of vision, confessing our faith for one another, knowing and speaking the living word of God enables us to overcome the illusions of the enemy. Again, falling into the trap of thinking that that person is my enemy. No, 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 no. We speak about the testimony of Jesus. We prophesy. Knowing and speaking the living word of God enables us to overcome the illusions of the enemy. Uh, Third part, loving not our own lives even unto death. We cannot overcome Satan and simultaneously harbor self-pity and sympathy for for that which needs to be crucified within us. Our victory is consummated by our willingness to go even to death rather than betray our convictions of truth. Paul said this in Acts 20, 24, I do not consider my life of any account as dear to myself in order that I may finish my course. So those who establish the kingdom are uncompromising with their own hurts. They may ache, but not withdraw. They live by faith. They live by faith. So we overcome by the blood of the lamb, acknowledging, and it's not just over. It's overcoming the attacks of the enemy when it comes to people in our lives that are hurting us, right? You don't harbor on the offense. You dwell on what the blood of Jesus did for you. Come on. And you live a life of faith. You declare it. And watch the healing come. But again, this is all wrapped up. This is all about church unity being a foundation of our faith, being a foundation on something that God can really build his church upon. If we are not unified with one another, first off, the the world will not see or experience the glory of God, and the church will only get to this level. And I wanna go to the next level. Are you with me this morning? I wanna go to the next level. So let's do this, let's all stand up, and we're gonna close our eyes. And if something that was said this morning you know, speaks to you. Maybe you've been harboring some bitterness and some offense, some dysfunction. You know, they might be in this room. It doesn't necessarily just need to be someone in this room, someone in your life, a friend, a family member, someone that you've been hurt by, truly hurt by, and you're trying to figure out how to get past the pain. And I'm here this morning to tell you that that pain is wrapped up in the stronghold of bitterness. And that stronghold can only be torn down by forgiveness. We must forgive before the pain leaves, right? So if that's you this morning, you know, you don't have to raise hands, but I really just, I'm, I'm just going to pray something. You don't really have to repeat it, but just sit there or stand there and just agree and, and think of that person in your mind and and, and just settle in your heart this morning that you're finally going to just let that thing go. You're going to let it go in Jesus' name. So, Father God, we bring these, these, these people before you right now, whoever it is that we're thinking of, family members, friends, church members, it doesn't matter. And we lay that at the altar. We lay our past upon the altar as an act of worship. And we say... I am no longer going to be bitter about this. I am no longer going to let this occupy space in my mind, space in my heart. I'm no longer going to let this keep me up at night. I'm no longer going to let this cause physical pain in my body. But I choose to lay it down right now, Father God. I know, I know that you forgave that person. You love that person. The blood of Jesus cleansed all of our sins. What did that book just say? That the blood bought us, it purchased us. We are blood relatives now in Jesus Christ. And we are known by our love for one another. So it's not worth it to me. It's not worth it to harbor this offense, to harbor this bitterness. So we give it up to you right now. In the name of Jesus, I command healing to come as we lay this at the altar. The doors of our heart have now been opened because we've chosen to forgive. And now the healing power of God can come and cleanse and wash and make new. In Jesus' name, I thank you for a restoration in hearts that those that, that pain is gone. In Jesus' name, that that wound is beginning to, to, to heal up. 
once and for all, not to be reopened next week, healed once and for all. In Jesus' mighty name, I thank you, Father God, that we are a church that loves. We are a church that walks in forgiveness. In the name of Jesus, we declare it to be so, and it's in your name we pray. Jesus, amen. Hallelujah. Amen, amen. Glory to God. Well, thank you so much for, for joining us this morning. And uh, I want to encourage you to come back tonight. Um, Pastor Shane Woodham, he's over at Meeker right now, but he's going to be bringing the word tonight, and it's going to be good. Um, I don't think I have anything else to say. Let's just say this as we go. What God did in Christ Jesus far exceeds any damage done to me by Adam's fall. You can make it a great week. We'll see you tonight.